Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I love the fact now that we are podcasts are encouraging people want mm-hmm. to speak more so that lots of people can listen and go, do you know what, I'm not alone. Hello and welcome to the podcast Castaway, a podcast about podcasts, a cross between a goggle box and desert island discs of podcasts. I'm Laura Whitmore, broadcaster, performer, chancer and podcast lover. I've been on a mission to get my next fix of podcast recommendations. Every week I'll be talking about all things podcasts with people who love podcasts, many of whom have podcasts themselves. Many times can I say podcasts in one sentence? I reckon a few more. So whether you're looking for podcasts about mental health or comedy, love, crime, or your next fictional series to binge listen to, my guests have got you covered. You may also be surprised by what some folk are listening to. And from that, a springboard into some really interesting discussions. Welcome to Castaway. Today's podcast is a special one because we welcome our first Dame to the show. Yes, we do. Dame Kelly Holmes is a double Olympic champion, an honorary colonel in the British Army, an author, podcast host, and one of the UK's most respected athletes. She's also warm, funny, and has wicked style. Today we discuss how to embrace vulnerability and failure, what the word feminism means to her, and the inspiration for Kelly launching her very own podcast, What Do I Do? Mental Health and Me, which led her to an interview in Alistair Campbell's bathroom and him playing the bagpipes while she was sitting on the loo. It will all make sense. This is a very powerful listen. Welcome to Castaway, Colonel Dame Kelly Holmes. I saw you at the Pride of Britain Awards a few weeks ago. Yes. And um, because I'd been listening to quite a lot of your podcasts, you were were in front of me when you do the red carpet thing. Oh yeah, I ran out the red carpet. (laughs) (laughs) You're the quickest runner up that carpet. (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) But I remember seeing you and I was like, ah! Kelly, it's like, yeah. I know you really well because I've been listening to so many of your podcasts that I feel like I know you really well. And I was like, oh, actually, I, I probably was over familiar with you. So sorry about that. That's all right. That's all right. It was a Kelly that I didn't know, like a Dame, Dame Kelly Holmes. You know, you, you see this successful woman who I would think has a great life um, and does have a great life, but nothing would bother you that, you know, you, you've kind of got that exterior of a very strong woman that up to now and speaking openly, didn't show vulnerability. Yeah. Because you couldn't. No, you're right. I think um, it's weird now that podcasts have become more accessible to people in terms of having that connection with people's lives who they might be interested in or just interested of. And I think that's why I've enjoyed doing them uh, myself and that's why I think they're so popular, you know, because Mm -hmm. the same... We were talking about 
sometimes you are closed book because there's only so much you want people to really know about you because in the public eye you could just literally lay your life bare can't you and you just think well what bits do you retain but mm-hmm. I think when there's a human side of a conversation or like you said most people would see it this hard exterior this strong woman and I don't want to be perceived as a strong woman because I think that's inspiring for people as well mm-hmm. but I also want people to realize that if you do have vulnerabilities, it doesn't define you to change who people think you are, but actually hopefully is a positive. Mm, it is, because you can be strong and also have a little cry every now and then <laughs> and feel, and have those down days. I, I think to have those mm. really highs, you have to have those lows too. And it's never going to be, you know, plain sailing the whole way through. No, I mean, I think, because I sort of obviously have gone through different lives, let's say. You uh, have had about, <laughs> you've had about like 10 lives. <laughs> I tell you, and I still want more. <laughs> I've still about 10 more to, to go. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, you have your sort of growing up history, background, what might affect you done. I had a military career, you know, my international athletics career, and then I'm into this kind of retirement, but also re venting in a way what you do and during that at the end of the day you're just human aren't you Mm -hmm. it's just that you let's say we all put ourselves into different positions and we live by those if we want to be good you have to kind of go through that mantle but when you know at the end of the day things hit you everyone's right to cry I want to talk about your very first podcast that you did because you do something a little bit different. We're in studio here. Yeah. Uh, you you take it out of the studio. Yes. So I basically wanted to go to where people feel is either their happy place or their place where this makes them come alive. So yeah. my first podcast was with Alistair Campbell. And his happy place is? In his bathroom, yeah. playing um, the uh, bagpipe. <laughs> it was my first go? day of filming in his house. And I'm thinking, God, I'm going to Alistair Campbell, right-hand man to Tony Blair, you know, kind of yeah. this, what's this guy going to be like? We're going up his stairs, up the so next You hadn't stairs. met him beforehand? No. No, so I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm standing outside thinking, right, I'm going into his house. Like, where are we going to go? And he says, oh, follow me. And we're going upstairs, upstairs, upstairs. And he said, we're going here. I was like, oh. So I'm looking around and it's like shower, this bath and a toilet. And I thought, where am I going to sit? So I just put the toilet seat down, sat on there. Yeah. Then he opens his bags with these bagpipes <laughs> and then this acoustic sound of this, <laughs> so loud. But it was amazing. Wow! I got, this is like actually it's quite surreal. <laughs> it's really surreal. I mean, why are the bagpipes? Well, I can't play the piano. <laughs> this is the only instrument I could play. So, how did you get into it? My dad taught me. He was from the Hebrides, and we, I grew up in Yorkshire. But he uh, he played the pipes, and he taught me me and my brother. Has yeah. it been part of your life for years? Then is this yeah. Well, kind it's of a... funny. I mean, I'm, now my dad's dead, and my brother's dead as well. I'm, I play more than I've ever played. I think there's a sort of connection thing there. What I like about in here, I know it sounds crazy, I play in my bathroom, but the acoustics are good. comes off the roof, off the ceiling. And I do, when I'm feeling a bit kind of down, I can definitely get out of myself by playing really, really, really sad music. They do say bathrooms have the best acoustics, so where else would Alistair Campbell play his bagpipes? Exactly. I mean, what his neighbours think, I don't know. I mean, I'm hoping that they loved it. But, um, yeah, it was really fascinating. I loved it, and I loved, you know, going to the different places, like 
did a spin class with Davina. I went yeah. to Edinburgh Fringe Festival where Rory Bremner was going, who'd been um, uh, diagnosed with ADHD, uh, Davina, alcohol and drug yeah. abuse, and, you know, t- transformed my life into this fitness guru and TV personality. You know, and it was just fascinating to, one, be in their environment because I felt they just relaxed because they were just happy being there. But secondly, for them to be so open and just transparent about the conversations we were going to have, I really enjoyed it. It just felt mm. like a chat, really. Uh, the podcast is called What Do I Do? Mental Health and Me. One of the things that keeps coming up with everyone that you've interviewed, but also yourself when you've spoken about, is identity. Mm. And for someone who's been so successful and you're such a national treasure, <laughs> the fact that you've ever questioned identity or struggled with your identity, for me, seems insane. seems crazy. I'm like, <laughs> but she's, you, you so seem like you know who you are. Yeah. Well, I think there's lots of sides that people might not get or understand. And the ones that are out there really are more about, so when I grew up, my mum had me when she was 17. So white mother, 17, Born and bred in Kent. Small village, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, Hildenborough in Kent. And uh, it wasn't the dumb thing in the 70s to one have a sort of off relationship when you were a kid, Um, but especially with like a a black guy, let's say. And at that time, um, my mum was told by her granddad, like, you can't look after this child unless... uh, unless you sort yourself out. So I went into a home, a children's home. Do you remember um, this? Do you? Yeah, 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 I remember the children's home because it's, you know, even though you're young, you know, I was between uh, like one or zero, whatever you call yeah. it, <laughs> maybe, two, five, so in and out. So I knew, you know, kind of that existence. I mean, the biggest thing that I do remember, firstly, was this actually my mum being on this quiz g- game called Generation Game where they used to do the conveyor belt thing with my granddad and I remember being called downstairs oh your mum's on telly and I'm like standing there thinking that's my mum she's on telly and only one o'clock they didn't get to the what conveyor belt what about the cuddly belt. toy the cuddly toy <laughs> they didn't get to the conveyor oh, belt oh <laughs> not happy but so how old were you when she, when she did that show she was about five yeah, it's, it's crazy what stays with you isn't yeah. it and then actually the one thing that really hit me very, very recently, I've just come back from Malawi and I was in Malawi and we were doing a, a venture trip. So very, very physical, but also um, a lot of charity work. Mm. And we went to this home, like an orphanage type place. And it's the only time in all of these years, I'm getting old, uh, where the impact of something back then hit me because we went into this place, had all these cots and babies running around, to- toddlers running around. And I just broke down in tears because it suddenly put me back then when you're crying that your mum's leaving you and you're mm-hmm. you know you put in the cot or in the bed and I was just like how weird how it doesn't matter how old you are there can be certain things that are still embedded in you that you kind of hide yeah and then that emotion came out and I was just like wow god that really was powerful but then what I thought to myself is change it around if I can make that young child laugh and think Oh, I'm leaving him with something special. So I went out of that place that was really hard for me, emotional, went round to the sandpit. This young kid was sitting in the corner, not really doing anything. And the nurse said, oh, she, uh, she just never smiles or laughs. So I picked her up and I was throwing her in the air and whatever. She was smiling, giggling. I was like, oh, and it just made me feel so good because yeah. you feel like, you know. You saw yourself in that child. Yeah, yeah. so weird. But um, yeah, so identity more for me was growing up in Kent. And uh, I went to a white primary school. And it was in the days where Boney M was singing Brown Girl in the Ring and I was the brown girl in the ring. But I loved it. I was like singing the whole tra-la-la-la-la. <laughs> and, uh, and everyone used to say to me, do you think they're picking you? And I was like, no, I stand up. 
and I always had this mantra sort of thing as I went through my life is like to be different is unique and unique is better than being the same as everyone else. <laughs> Mr. Vera, um, I want to talk about podcasts because um, you kind of stumbled across podcasts similarly to how I did because you were on other people's podcasts. Yes. And I mean, that's a great way to get to know other podcasts. And one of the podcasts that you've mentioned here from, from your list of recommendations, you've got a great list here, by the way. They're all really inspirational ones, really powerful ones. I want to talk about, because uh, I hadn't listened to it until you recommended it, mm. was Conversations of Inspiration. Yeah. And this is with Holly Tucker, who is, I think a lot of people will know Not on the High Street. Um, she's the founder of Not on the High Street. She's pumped over, I think, 750 million into hundreds of thousands of small creative businesses in the UK. And even, like, you've been on the podcast and she's yeah. had lots of inspiring people on the podcast. She did this thing which I thought was lovely. Um, she gave away an ad mm-hmm. to a small business during the podcast. Yeah. Because that would cost so like thousands of pounds and she gave that away to somebody. So all those thousands of people listening to your interview with her, mm. they'll also hear about this this other small business yeah, opportunity yeah. yeah which I really loved I mean what I liked about doing Holly's is because I knew not in the high street but I didn't know the person behind it got to know her realised how inspirational she is in small business development and how she really wants to push people to become entrepreneurs or to fulfill their true potential but being on her podcast one of the ones I really liked the section she says you have to write a letter to your younger self mm. and then read it and I was like how oh, what do you write do you know what? I actually felt really emotional and she was crying as I was reading it. I was just like, oh God, here we go. We're like in tears. But it's just nice how people have a different take on what they're trying to get out with the podcast. As, mm. as you know, and we've said, they're very popular these days. Yeah. So you can end up being on lots of podcasts, but with the different angles, it gets a different bit out of you. Mm-hmm. And I liked the way that she does these sort of inspirational conversations, but then gets people to dig deep and think, well, what would you say to yourself if you were, you know, back there now? And it makes you really think. But at this moment of this podcast where I hand over to you, reading your letter to your younger self. Okay, I will do. And I'm sorry if it doesn't make sense. I'm not that great at writing still. However, I do my best. And, you know, when I was asked to write his letter, I was thinking, do you say me back then, you? So forgive me if there's anything I didn't say well, but I've just written it how I would if I was saying this. I'd put, hi, Kelly. Firstly, I'd like to say well done and I'm proud of you. I know growing up has been a bit of a challenge for you. Remembering the nights you cried yourself to sleep because your mum had to leave you in a care home but hanging on to those cuddly toys for comfort. Growing up with the realisation that you were different than others at school. The day one of the girls in primary school asked you why you had a different coloured skin to your mum and, and dad and first brother. But look how you handled it when you were proud to be the sugar in the plum 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 when dancing in the middle of Brony M, Brown Girl in the Ring song. I want to say well done for handling any differences in a mature and grown-up way. What did you get out? Because you said you do a lot of podcasts and Mm. I've listened to a few that you've been on and I find out a bit more about you in each different podcast and sometimes you probably give away more than you intended to. (laughs) Have you ever said anything and went... Did I, mean to, did I mean to reveal that about myself? Oh, well, I've still got a few things that ain't coming out, however. <laughs> oh, you still have some time to go, Kelly, in this podcast. Exactly. One day. But, um, no, I think you just learn to, one, relax. And in the society at the moment, I do a lot of public speaking anyway. So mm. my actual, what I do do in real life these days is um, corporate 
speaking engagement. So I could speak in front of 300 or 2,000 people at a massive conference. And I always allude to mental health in the workplace and mental health just as people about normalising the conversation and humanising society back and the workplace. And so for me, because I'm so open out there, it makes me feel that if I have an impact on anybody, by me talking about my own journey and just saying it as it is, it becomes more real because what? why am I going to hide that part of me when actually we're in a position now where we can stop the stigmatism of mental health? And so I suppose a little bit more comes out or just a bit more substance around a story maybe comes out as I become more confident in talking. It has taken you a while to get to this to this spot uh, where you do feel as, I suppose, comfortable to to be so open. Yeah, I mean, I so I basically wrote about having a massive breakdown in 2003 in my autobiography that came out in 2005. Mm-hmm. I was asked to do this book and I thought, God, what do I write about? I mean, I don't want to write just about running around the track and, you know, stats and that. It'd be a bit oh. boring for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought, well, because it was the end of my career and I'd won two gold medals in Athens, that actually talking about the journey to get there would be more inspirational. So I mm-hmm. talked about my background, talked about my army life and talked about... Were you 10 years in the... Was it 10 years 10 in the years in the army, wow. just under, yeah. Before you even did yeah, the so, other stuff. <laughs> I know. Well, I, um, since I was 14, I wanted to be in the army. I had a dream to be in the army. Why? And uh, I would say it was about proving to myself and others that I could be good at something. I wasn't good at school. This is another identity problem is that I wasn't academic. So I was always the one outside the classroom and you felt like you're just the naughty kid. Mm -hmm. Whereas as soon as I was good at sport, everyone wanted to be in Kelly's team and you then have your name and Mm -hmm. you feel like empowered by it. And so having the army as a link to, I could have a career, I could meet people, I could do something I really want to do and prove that I could be good at it was just a driver for me. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to be in the army and I wanted to be Olympic champion. They're the two things since I was 14, basically, which I... Fortunately achieved. You're very, I mean, very good at that. I, like, I went to win the lotto. Yeah. <laughs> it happens. Yeah, exactly right. I know. I, I feel like if you said that, that will happen. It took 20 years though, so you might have a long wait. However, <laughs> um, but yeah, being in the army, do you yeah. think the discipline that you learned there? Because as a sports person, mm. it takes a lot of discipline. Yeah, it does. Um, you know, the values within the military are about discipline and and self respect and respecting other people. You learn a lot about yourself because you're. When you join, you've got to do what they say. You know, it's not a, if you want to, it's not that attitude. It's like you have to do it. So mm-hmm. discipline's really, really there. But you realise why. Because if you're in a, a situation where you have to help your comrades or especially the ones that then go on the front line or the forces, mm-hmm. there isn't like this battle around that, oh, I can be five minutes late or, oh, if I want to, you, you, you're there. And so I loved, I loved that part of it. I joined when I was 18. I left just before I was 28. And during my... Uh, army career I also go back into my athletics so I kind of dueled my careers but I wanted to be in because it gave me a sense of a, a purpose a, a, a challenge to myself to mm-hmm. be good at something and a career well, you were 34 when you won the two goals yeah um, that sounds ancient I so wish I was there now <laughs> <laughs> but, but as a sports person um you know you start young like you know you start young and and I suppose there was a huge inspiration in that as well the fact that you had this whole other career mm. before you even did that. I know you were still doing you know you, you yes. were always very sporty growing up and you, you still not to that level but you, mm. you know you were doing athletics to a certain point but what was it that kind of made you think because I, th- I I did hear so you were watching TV and there was someone that you saw running and you went I yeah. used to beat her <laughs> yeah, it's true <laughs> yeah what it's was that true. story so um 
So basically, I was going, just going back slightly. So I was inspired by the Olympic Games in Los Angeles when I was mm-hmm. 14. Sebastian Coe, who's one of the best British uh, athletes ever, won the 1500 metres. I knew that day I wanted to be Olympic champion. I also wanted to be in the army. So I was a junior international athlete. I actually won the mini youth Olympics when I was 17. Not a lot of people will get to hear about this. I won a gold medal. Which is huge at 17, yeah. Stood on the rostrum, national anthem playing, British flag flying. Gave you a taste for what was to come. I I like this. But then I gave up my athletics career to join the army. I then watched the Olympic Games again in uh, which were in Barcelona when I was 22, watched the girl that mm-hmm. uh, I used to run against, and I'll say beat. <laughs> and it gave me that fire in my belly again. But I was a soldier first, mm-hmm. so I was like, you know, how am I going to do this? So I kind of dueled my career, used my leave in the army to go away and compete, started to get back into my athletics seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and then actually during that career, uh, I won... A huge amount of medals. I mean, I went to my first Olympic Games when I was 26. I won my first medals when I was 24, the Commonwealth Games gold and European silver. I won double world medals when I was 25. Mm-hmm. First Olympic Games, ran with a stress fracture, came fourth, pipped on the line. You know, then I became number one in the world by five seconds in 97, <laughs> broke the British record. So I was always there. Yeah. The problem with me was my injuries. Mm-hmm. So I had to out of my 12 years as an international athlete, seven years I had injuries, stress fractures, torn Achilles, uh, ruptured calf, had glandular fever, tonsillitis, I had three operations on my stomach during the athlete's career, which hardly anyone knows about. Um, Did you feel you had to keep a lot of those injuries quiet? Yeah, from mainstream, because it's like what we talk about now with mental health, with the stigmatism, you know, the whole perception that maybe people think they look weak. Mm. As an athlete, you don't want your opposition to know you've had an injury because the moment you go and stand on the track, the air of kind of confidence really rubs off. Mm -hmm. You can tell when people are ready to go on a track, you know, Mm -hmm. and perform. And also the ones that are a little bit kind of, if you hear they've had injury, you Mm -hmm. think, well, okay, Mm -hmm. I can... So I used to always keep that in. I suppose that was the hardest part and the battle that I had was that you have an injury... Uh, you then have to say you've got one when you're not as good as you feel that you want to be at a championship. Mm -hmm. That all knocks your confidence. Uh, You worry what other people think about your performance and then it was there. But that was very mechanical kind of thought as opposed to emotional at that time. So when I got this stress fracture in my first Olympic Games when I was 26, I was told to go home. And I was in the holding camp in Tallahassee prior to um, the Olympics in Atlanta and I got this stress fracture, I was told to go home and I was like, yeah, but what if I don't get to another Olympic Games? I'm going to regret it forever. Mm-hmm. And I said, so what's the deal, you know? And I said, well, if you fall completely, you break your leg. I said, I'll take the risk then. Because I was like, well, what if I never get to another Olympic Games? And every four years, I was 26, which I thought was ancient then. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I was depressed by 30. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it was always that, well, I'm just going to give it a go because you never know. And I always think that in life anyway. I talk mm-hmm. to people about, you know, you might have a doubt and you think, shall I, shan't I? But it's better to go for it than to think, well, what if? Mm-hmm. I hate that what if yeah, I, I think that's for that. anyone no matter what career what you have career. or what you want to do yeah absolutely uh, one of the podcasts that uh, you put on your recommendations I'm a huge fan of <laughs> and it's the guilty feminist oh, Deborah yeah. Francis White and uh, I'm, gonna, I'm putting you on the spot here but she always oh. starts off with I'm a feminist but and I um, I think growing up feminist sometimes can be a dirty word it's mm. if you're a feminist do you hate men or are you anti-men in any way and uh, and for me I feel like I'm I'm a feminist but I also 
like wearing makeup and I shave my legs. And <laughs> yeah. if you don't want to, that's fine. And it, you kind of have all these connotations of what the word feminism means mm. uh, to you. I, I feel like you have, you know, you're a great role model for so many young mm. women, um, particularly in sport, where you have that that prestige that a lot of women didn't don't get because they don't see women like yeah. up there winning the big awards, especially within sport. Um, mm-hmm. And I definitely think there's a huge shift. Um, I remember like as an Irish woman, Katie Taylor is from my hometown, the oh, boxer. Gosh, she's and amazing. I was like, oh, I didn't know women could box. And <laughs> yeah. they could. They just, when you don't have that role model up there, it's very hard for children to go, there is a space for me within this. Yeah. Um, for you, what does the word feminism mean, mean to you? And do you kind of have a clear outline or do you kind of question what the word is? Um, yeah, maybe question slightly what the word is, because I think, so I see it more in the business sector these days, you know, where sometimes it's perceived if a woman is really successful that they always and really high up in a business that they always turn out to be a bitch because mm-hmm. they're trying to mm-hmm. be as dogmatic and yeah. up there with a guy, yeah. you know. And I wonder why that becomes the case because why? Why turn into it? You don't need to be a guy to yeah, you know, yeah. be good and strong and powerful. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's perceived to sometimes as be that that's what happens. Because again, we're talking about the weakness thing, even yeah. a sports person to not show that weakness because then maybe that's how the opposition or someone else going for promotion might yeah, think, knock oh, it. Yeah, a bloody woman, you know, moaning yeah. all the time. Yeah. But, you know, in, in business, the best way is to have both men and women because we have different ways of thinking thinking, different ways of um, actually uh, getting where we need to get. We have different thought processes and we have different attitudes and Mm behaviours. So you have to have that if you want a successful business because that's how it works. So I think, you know, but for me personally, um, I think that women... We shouldn't put ourselves down. We should be proud of what we do, how good we can be, not have this attitude that, oh, they don't take us because we're women, you know, and also just be you, you know, because yeah. we can sometimes try and conform. And I feel like over the last two years when my mum passed away, I ended up thinking, do you know what? I'm just going to be me now. So, for example, I shaved my hair off at the sides because I was talking about it for months and months and months, my hairdresser. I was like, do you know what? I don't want a frumpy hairdress mm. style. I don't like ageing at all. I hate the fact that I'm getting older because I want to... Do you know what I love? I love that as a feminist, sometimes we're afraid, we have to say, oh, I'm happy to grow old no, gracefully. No, they're lying. No, they're lying. <laughs> it was lying I'm so happy about you it. said that. Yeah, it's like, no, why? You just get older and wrinkling and, you know, no, yeah, I yeah. don't want to age. You know, I like being older because I feel wiser and yeah. I feel like I don't care, I'll say what I want now, yeah. but in a respectful way, but no, I don't want to age. <laughs> but um, I think that there's this kind of unfortunate Unfortunately, you know, maybe, and maybe I'm so detached from it, I don't know, but in the younger generation now, I feel like people have got to be the same or conform or to mm. look a certain way because mm. that's the only way they're going to get. And that's mm. kind of a fickle society that we're leading to if you only think that you've got to have, you know, be a certain height or a certain look or wear certain things just to get somewhere. But I actually think that the people that get somewhere I have the credibility because you can open the door with how you look, mm-hmm. but if you've got nothing behind it, mm-hmm. it won't last. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you've got substance, real nature, values, you know, kind of a a powerful trait. You can, you know, be successful anyway. Uh, The Guilty Feminist, why has this made your list? Um, So I haven't yet been on that one, which I'd like to. (laughs) So uh, Deborah and Sophie, if you're listening, Kelly would like to be on the podcast. (laughs) Um, No, I just feel like, or have I been on (laughs) it? 
Actually, I've just thought that. Actually, have I been on that one? Oh, God. I love that. I love, I love it. I love it. Like, yes, you have. You have been like, um, anyway. Um, I love it. It's real life. It's okay. real. Sometimes well, we forget things we've done. I want to be on it because <laughs> um, I saw Deborah at uh, Stylist Awards. Yeah. She was presenting them. Mm-hmm. And I loved her character because she was wearing white and yeah. the photographer was taking all these photos and she went, can you stop taking photos of me like at that angle? <laughs> I'm in white for God's sake, you know. And it was just so funny. You know, like when someone's just so natural. Yeah. And yeah, but I, I think I like this conversation sometimes about women. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, because I sit in sport now, so people go, there was always this thing about, do women get the right media coverage? Mm-hmm. Do women get the right kind of recognition for sport? Yeah. That we've always had this conversation. We're in a better place now. It can yeah. still be better. So you see women's football, um, yeah. for example. Yeah. You know, they've played at Wembley in front of a sellout crowd. Yeah. I mean, crazy. How yeah. many times would you ever think that an England women's game would be in Wembley, sellout mm-hmm. crowds, for example? So we've moved on a long way. You've got people like Dina Ashley-Smith. You know, everyone mm-hmm. loves her. She yeah. looks great. She's successful, powerful, and she's getting more media and airtime than any sports yeah. person has in a, a while, right? Yeah. But then you've got on the other side where you have other people that kind of um, are kind of in the business sector world now and just, you know, getting CEOs of massive companies. I just love that whole thing. So yeah. the conversation about women just fascinates me yeah. because we should be able to say we're proud to do what we do and not to just... I just think, let's say with my military background, 100 years of women being in the military. Last, in 2017, it became legal now for women to go in any role whatsoever in the military. So be on the front line. Yeah. You know, basically fighting the war. Yeah. Couldn't do that for years. But my whole factor is, if you're good enough, mm-hmm. i.e. you reach every single standard required to get in there, whether you're a man or a woman, then you deserve to be in it. If you don't, you don't deserve it. And that mm-hmm. doesn't matter if you're a man or woman. So actually, we should have the society that, in life, does not matter about man, woman, whatever, you know, you identify as. If you're good enough to do a role, then you should be put in that role. And I think that conversation needs to happen more. I tell you why we have this thing about this, because women haven't had as many opportunities. Open the doors for women to have the equal opportunities, and then you can see, you know, who's the best people. And that's where we've changed now. I think there is more uh, opportunities open, and I see that in the business world now. Certainly, there's a lot more opportunities to women to succeed in their chosen careers, but that's what has to happen. It's not that we're not bloody good enough. And also, it's up to women to put themselves forward and to shout at more. Why not? You know, shout you know I might not get the same response of other people but you just shout about what you feel you should be able Mm -hmm. to get and if you can back it up by success then great I remember this thing when I was in the army I was a corporal at a um it was called army school of languages and basically there was recruits that came in or mainly men uh boys that came from university who wanted to be officers and I was in charge of the gym so there's these 30 guys coming into the gym and there was little me five foot three you know they had no army law experience so didn't know that when they come into a PTI's gym you shut up because otherwise you're getting beasted right so they, <laughs> so they no one in. wants to get beasted <laughs> no. so they, they come in and I'm like right how do I handle this do I belittle them and just absolutely crucify them yeah. or do I actually gain respect by showing I'm as good or better than them yeah. so I sent them on this three mile run out out of the gym through uh past this gate past the assault course you know the big high walls and the scramble necks through this wood out into the open expanse back through the wood back past the assault course back to the gym I said right let's have a challenge 
do you want to take up this challenge? They said, yes, 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 yes. You know, it's all like this male bravado type mm-hmm. thing. I said, right, anyone that beats me back doesn't have to do PT at all for two weeks. Anyone that's behind me comes in at 5 a.m. in the morning and 8 p.m. at night. I loved it because I loved my job and I lived on the barracks, so it yeah. didn't bother me. Yeah, yeah. They were like, yeah, yeah, all right. So anyway, I set them all off and I kind of figured, mm, young university kids, probably been drinking, probably not that fit. I just kind of thought, you know, <laughs> edged my bets. Anyway, went off, they went like hairs, guaranteed within kind of the first section, 50% of them were walking. I was like, right, great. <laughs> Go off, pass this salt course. I've, I've shut the gate because I'm last. Through the woods, get out to woods, loads of them are walking, they're all dying up the hills, all of this sort of stuff. And then I saw these about five or six guys in front of me. I thought, right, I've got up the ante. Here, go around. None of them knew that I was a junior international athlete, by the way. They before didn't I went need in the to army, know. didn't need to. Anyway, I'm coming back round, coming back round. Um, came past, and there's three guys now in front of me. Got this sort of course left. I knew I'd shut the gates, so and I knew the first person had to open it. Came closer, closer, closer. Two people at the gate. We opened the gate. It was a year after Lympha Christie, one of our British Olympic champions, 100 meter champions, had won the uh, Olympic Games. It was 100 metres from that game, gate to the gym. I became Linford Christie that day. I sprinted past and beat all 30 guys in. Wow. The look on their face was like, oh, my God, this is like this beast woman. They came in. I didn't have to say another word. They just literally, whatever I said, they did. And it was about gaining respect to a mm-hmm. group of guys that could just belittle you because... In a way, you're a woman, you know. It's yeah. like, But no, sometimes women, that's what I was saying, back to the story, is that Sometimes women have to shout at what they're good at in any industry. If you're yeah. good, you're good. You've put in the hard work. You've seen the results. Uh, you know your form. Just have the door open and you can prove it. I think sometimes we're embarrassed. I Growing up, mm. you would be, I, to go like, I'm really good at something. You'd be mortified to say it. Do you, do you know what I mean? You're like, <laughs> no. oh, she's full of herself. Because there's the, I don't know, maybe there's an Irish mentality growing up. Yeah, do you know, yeah. like, like, apart from that, you were raised, like, know, know your place and stuff. <laughs> yeah. How important is it, do you think, now for women to be like, I'm good at this. Yeah. I'm owed this. Yeah. I should be paid this much yeah. without being seen as a diva. Yeah. Well, that's the balance, isn't it? Because if you can prove and back it up, then yeah. why not? And if you do it in a respectful way, just say, do you know what? I've worked damn hard for this position. I know what I am doing. Yeah. I have a right to have an opportunity to show you what I'm doing. And I want, I'll want i prove to you I'm good. And if I'm not, at the end, that's my downfall. You know what I mean? But I think just women, and it's not about saying, I can, you know, I am, I am, I am, I'm this, and putting yourself like on this weird pedestal. pedestal of like, look at me. But I think there is a point where you can go, do you know what? I've worked damn hard for this. Mm-hmm. I know. No, I'm as good as these other people out here, but let me prove it to you. you know? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. One of the things that um, the guilty feminist says is being a feminist in our world isn't always easy to get right. <laughs> yeah. I love this podcast. I've been listening to it for a while. I'm lucky to have met and worked with Deborah before. Mm. I think it's important to question and we're not always getting it right. And no. sometimes... I'm competitive and I I look at a woman and I'm like, what's she wearing? And I go, I don't know if I like that. And I'm like, what? And you have to question yourself. <laughs> yeah. But we're just human and we're, just we're not human. always going to get it right. No, I wonder if the word feminist is wrong. You know what I mean? Do you think, it's kind do you think of we like, need to, like, we need to change a word and just kind of, you know, it's, I think women have fought for years and years for equal rights and we have to respect our historical background. Yeah. And I think as we go through time, we forget what happened for us to get to where we are now and I think there's a few people especially some older ladies that remember all those times where do you know what they fought for their freaking rights so why not carry on fighting I think sometimes we have to remember that Mm -hmm. that we're in this privileged position because a lot of women like lost their lives or gave up their lives to fight for us Mm -hmm. and I think that's why we have to then have that this push still to say, do you know what? We deserve this. Yeah. And I think because we've come a long way and we owe it to the people that fought for our position, you know, mm-hmm. in voting, we weren't doing it, you know, yeah. if you just look at historical things around women. Yeah. And I think sometimes it is right for us now in the position we're in in this day and age to fight because mm-hmm. we, we had the right and we've been given it. Hello. It's so lovely. Hi, Rocket to have Man. You How are you doing? Do you know what? Elton John fans in there saw what I was doing to Debs. Yes, Absolute Elton John right. sneer by She's me there for glasses. She's referring to my excellent glasses. <laughs> I am a feminist, but when you asked me a day and a half ago to co-host this evening, I was like, Deborah, for you, anything. I'm a feminist to my core. I would support you to the death. What time? 9pm? Same time as Love Island. Oh. It's And it was true. a real dilemma. It's yeah, true. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a real dilemma. Yeah. I turned up but aggressively so. <laughs> the nice thing about television now is you don't have to watch it when it's on. No, there's, of course, the it's hub flex. in the morning. Yeah. I'm a feminist, but I put on this pencil skirt tonight because I've been watching a lot of Mad Men. <laughs> it's my way of getting to sleep. I'm re-watching the series, and you see a lot more in it when you watch it multiple times. And I put this skirt on because I thought I'll pretend to be Joan from Mad Men I'll get into a character but when I put it on I thought oh I think I look more like Peggy when she was too naive to realise she was pregnant no I will not have it no I just had that moment of going you think you're being Joan but really you're being Peggy <gasps> you when are she was Joan. rushed to hospital yeah you're Joan you're jo- exactly. Look, Tell her she's your job. There's one supportive woman in the audience who truly <laughs> yeah. believes I'm Thank you. 
Well, that's a Guilty Feminist uh, podcast that was launched in 2015. So it's um, it's been going for it's going for, for quite a while now. And they do um, they do a lot of live podcasts. And yeah. I know because you've been on another podcast, which is the um, Fern Cotton's yeah. Happy Place. Did you do that live? It. Or did you yes. do that? How How is it doing it live? We're obviously in a little container now. <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of feels like it's a conversation. You kind of forget about the mic. And I, I'm looking at you and I'm like, I'm having a, a conversation. I forget yeah. that other people are listening. <laughs> how is it when you do those po- those live podcasts? or even listening to those live podcasts when you have a room of people. I know you're used to doing corporates, but does it kind of change the conversation a bit? Yeah, I think in a way it does just because you've got that human interaction. So if you think you're cracking a funny little bit of a joke, it's like if they don't laugh, it's like, (laughs) oh, that went down wrong. (laughs) At least here if you crack, we're like, oh, they're laughing at home. They're laughing at home. Yes, Or or criticising or something. (laughs) You know, um, I, no, I mean, all of these are lovely because like, as we are, we're just talking. It's a really nice conversation. You Mm. can just chat and you might, you'd never get that time. I'd never have got this time just to chat with you. And I know I'm not asking you about you, but it's just a flowy conversation. I suppose with Fern, and the live one, because she's been going for so long and she's so, you know, kind of respected in her yeah. world and the Happy Trusted. Place festival environment where I did mine, yeah. everyone was just loving being there and relaxed and felt like there was something for all of them. It was such a cathartic kind of um, peaceful environment because it was mm. there for you. You go to the Happy Place Festival to get something out of it for you, whether that's a physical action, a, a meditation session, a, a, a talk. And so everyone wanted to be there. Mm-hmm. So when I did my podcast, we were on stage and it was packed, like absolutely rammer. And I looked out, I was like, oh my God, I didn't think so many people <laughs> would come and listen to me. But what I felt like, was that for me was a platform for people to get to know me who do have this impression of just this hard woman kind of this is what she's done because no one really gets to know the real mm-hmm. you you know mm-hmm. what I mean and that's why I think I've been more open on these podcasts so that actually people just yes I did win two gold medals it was a tough journey but I was I fulfilled my potential but it doesn't define any of that doesn't define who I really want to be I like being inspirational to people, motivational, to make people realise that they can fulfil their own potential no matter what they do, to know that actually the highs and lows are part of life. Mm -hmm. And I was able to express that in a really nice way because Mm -hmm. of the audience, I think. So it was very different because I was trying to connect with them individually, even Mm -hmm. though I was doing a podcast. Mm -hmm. Tried to do what I do for my normal life, I suppose. Yeah, Uh, I I suppose, you know, Fern is great as well because she has that warmth as well. Like she can get get everything out of you. (laughs) I don't even mean to (laughs) say do you find and like Fern has had you know she, she's had so many different people on her podcast um, and also giving up a lot of information yeah. do you find when you is there anyone in particular that you've heard on Fern's or anyone else's podcast who've maybe opened up about their life that maybe has encouraged you to be a little bit more open and honest over the years um, not necessarily to be more open and honest because I think I've always like I said I've mm. when I started writing about my own breakdown and mental health problems um kind of uh self-harming and the journey that through my athletics career created I wrote it like I said in 2005 2017 I went on a tv show loose women and we were talking about sort of this and I kind of 
sort of said the same story. And yeah. everyone, a few of them were like, oh, I never knew that. Yeah. And I was like, no, the difference is that people are listening now. It's no different what we've been talking about or what people have felt or what people have happened in people's lives. It's just that now it's becoming more acceptable to talk about it. And it was yeah. almost like I spoke about it for the first time. Yeah, even though you'd said this years ago. I've, I've said this years. It was like in the front yeah. of, you know, people remember me being on the front of newspapers winning gold medals, but they don't remember me being on the front of they weren't listening. newspapers explaining that, you know, I'd had this breakdown and didn't want to be here anymore. You know, it's kind of like one side to the other. Mm -hmm. So what it made me realise is that I'm happy to talk about it because if people now look at me and go, oh, geez, you know, wow, that's an inspirational story because, look, it didn't define me and I won my two gold medals after my worst period of time at that stage. I brought that in. So when I listen to people now, I just love the fact that, people are willing just to be more open mm -hmm. but also about how they got to where they got to because a bit, some people look at maybe people in the public eye and think everyone was giving it to them on a plate everyone's got loads of money everyone's whatever but actually if you listen to a lot of people's stories that are successful it's about fight determination setbacks you know people doubting them people thinking like there's no way you're going to get there going somewhere in a direction it all crashing and lose especially in business you know you got somewhere really successful and then lost everything or you had a breakdown or a marriage went wrong or bereavement we don't talk about I love the fact now that we are podcasts are encouraging people mm -hmm. one to speak more so that lots of people can listen and go do you know what I'm not alone mm -hmm. I love that mm -hmm. so you know, I listened to Russell Brand. He was there on the same day. Yeah, and um, you know, Fern's podcast. I remember yeah. the on Fern's podcast, you know, and I kind of thought to myself, you know, you remember the days of the drug rock and roll yeah. type thing? And, yeah. and then he's there and he's very... Um, he speaks so eloquently. It's like he swallowed a dictionary, isn't it, how he speaks? I'm like, what does that word mean? Hold on a second, Russell, while I'll just look it up. I know. And he's there in his sort of yoga kit yeah. and he's got, you know, his big beard yeah. now. He's like this God feature and he's kind of like zen. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Like, you know, and you talk to him. So I was talking to him before he we went on and he's so quiet and he looks so intently mm. in your eyes and you just think like he's looking through you and trying to draw your spirit out. Then he's on stage and he's this, this man. And I'm just like, wow. I heard recently, Fern, that we often incorrectly analyse our feelings that if we spent a little bit of time we were like you just think oh what is that feeling mm. we go, oh it's fear I better do something that we're not very good at sitting and going okay just give this a moment me I was a very impulsive person so I've like if I feel something like, oh, I've got to take an action mm. and I think that drug addiction is a very good way of managing states of mind particularly you know if you're taking opiates a lot you know you're managing your mood well or even you know amphetamines cocaine or you know that you're at least you've got some you've got the illusion of some kind of control over your states and if you feel fearful a lot anxious a lot always looking for something as if you're sort of hemorrhaging energy constantly agitated those things are a bloody relief but before that before drugs it was penguin biscuits or watching too much telly or watching like I watch studying fools and horses and like, you know, <laughs> like always everything obsessive everything mm, obsessive mm. The, like you said the drive and the muting I didn't really realise what he was like but I loved how intense he is and he really mm. you know has changed in a way transformed in this completely different character yeah. and I loved that and he probably always had that just yeah. that's not what we that's not what we saw through tv and as you were saying like what 
about listening. People weren't listening. So maybe he was yeah. saying these things, but we weren't listening to it because the press were way more interested in who he's dating or his drunk antics. Yeah. And the same what you said, like, you know, in your book, you talked, you know, very openly and gave part of yourself mm. about cutting yourself, which is, you know, to expose that. Mm. Are you, and but people didn't listen then. No, you know, and I think maybe people were fearful of kind mm. of opening up the can of worms and what does that mean? Yeah. And, uh, you know, and when I talk on stage now, you know, like I say, I talk in front of corporates, range of different people, different backgrounds, and I talk very openly about the journey because I'm talking about Athens and the inspirational bit, but I always make sure that mental health becomes a part of it now. Yeah. And... You know, I talk about self-harming, which is cutting, but it's also more than that. Self-harming is also if you used to have a, a small glass of wine at night just to relax and it turns into half a bottle and turns yeah. into a bottle because you, you kind of hide in something or you, you don't yeah. know how to cope. Anything that's not normal. It's not normal to have a bottle of wine at night. You know, yeah. it's just not normal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if like you become reliant on but something to take pain away. It's then, yeah. exactly that. And so for me... It's just important for me to be able to share my story and that's why I like other people sharing their stories because actually there are some someone else that will listen to that and go, God, that's, that's me. Mm-hmm. And then if you can turn it around to say now, like I say, you know, if you're suffering about communication effectively with people, you know, kind of having that ability to um, open up and share will help you in the process of getting that support mechanism. And that's what I get from seeing, hearing people's podcasts. And not all the about mental health, but some of the yeah. positive ones, you know, where you think, how did you get there, you know? And you learn so much from yeah. podcasts, don't you? I also you know? like, ah, oh, like people are funny. Like yeah. sometimes, like even even in your <laughs> podcast with Fern, like yeah. you guys laugh about things, like, you, yeah. you talk about emotional <laughs> things, but you're just like, oh, it's just girls having a chat. I know. Well, we were talking about age. And yeah, that's when I said, <laughs> I said on there, I'm like, if there's anyone here that says aging's okay, you're bloody lying. I mean, for God's sakes, you know, who wants the extra lines and the wrinkles? And the, I know, but you'd be afraid you know? to say that because you have to say, I'm happy to. I'm happy to age oh, gracefully. No. <laughs> no. Don't shake half my head. Disgracefully, I am. I, I want to age disgracefully. Um final podcast that you've put on your list of recommendations uh, and because of this it meant that um, other podcasts didn't make the list (laughs) (laughs) Alistair Campbell (laughs) Um, is How to Fail with Elizabeth Day and I think even just in the title itself How to Fail because there's so many books out there How to Succeed in Life and you know be successful be the best you can be and uh, and especially as an athlete that no one ever says how to fail at something. <laughs> yeah. But it kind of goes back Turn to what we were talking about, the journey that you do uh, mm. and how that's so important. So you've actually been on Elizabeth's podcast yes. um, itself. and I know I've been on that one. I remember yeah. that one. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely were. I, I've listened to it, so I know you were as well. I can back that up. Um, what I love is Elizabeth celebrates the things that haven't gone right. I know, right? It, that's I mean, a strange thought. It is. But in a way, I think that's such a great way because what is failure? It's learning. Mm. Yeah? Mm-hmm. By failing, and that word is quite a strong word, you can either continue to go on a steady slope down because you think, oh gosh, I can't do it. Or you can look at it and think, well, how do I make changes for that never to happen? Mm-hmm. And so for me, I always took it as a positive, which I try to do. I mm-hmm. turn, I always try and turn something bad or negative in my life into finding where the positives came out. So how do I get through it? So mm-hmm. I think on mine, I spoke, um, I spoke about lots of things, but I remember talking about... Uh, 
I think it was quite a personal thing to me in terms of my career. So I wanted to be a physical training instructor. I joined the army as a heavy goods vehicle driver, believe it or not, just to get in. Just to get in the door. And then I went to my first um, selection and I failed and I was so distraught. And they were saying, you can run, but you can't do anything else. You scream from your throat, not your stomach. It was almost like put downs, put downs, put downs. And I was so distraught because at that age, I really wanted to be a physical training instructor since I was 14. So them turning me down, I was like devastated because it's like a career progression. And I thought to myself, I can either just believe them or I can put myself in every single course there's going, you know, every umpiring course, coaching course. Mm-hmm. I can learn how to shout better from my 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 gut mm-hmm. rather than my heart. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I just thought, no, I'm going to show you, you know, and sometimes I look at the failure as you, you go into the negative and kind of then think, oh, I can't do it or go, Mm-mm, no, you're going to make me be good so yeah. I did all this I went on my second selection course I came top student out of 30 because I will, didn't allow them to put me down into that space where I, I thought and I didn't know if they just didn't like me or it was my colour I never thought about race and colour because it's not part of my life but yeah. when I failed something I was thinking she just not like me or am I just not well, good yeah. enough or whatever so I thought no I'm gonna show you my guest this week is the Labour MP for Birmingham Yardley Jess Phillips. I want to get on to your failures, which, by the way, are brilliant, (laughs) which is always an odd thing to say about failures, but they're particularly good ones. But I wondered if I could ask you just more generally what your relationship with failure is like, because you belong to two groups I'm fascinated by. You're an MP, so I feel like you have to deal with the idea of failure quite routinely because you might lose your seat. And also you're a woman. And many of the women that I've spoken to on this podcast feel that they fail every single day Mm -hmm. in almost every single way. Mm -hmm. And it does seem to be that there is like a gender divide about how we look at failure. So what's your overarching relationship with failure? I would say that I'm no fan of failing at things. I tend not to do something unless I think I'm going to be the best person at doing it. And that can be really flighty. That can be like, well, I'll get up there and do it because I reckon I could do a better job than you with literally no evidence to back that up. So both cocky and lacking in failure. But I definitely have the gender element of what you're saying. I definitely feel like I am failing as a mother all the time. And if I'm not failing as a mother, then I'm failing as a representative. It's sort almost like you have to pick which one you're going to fail at this week, when actually you could just be good enough at both of them, which I, I like to think if my children were here, what they would say, well, yeah, you're good, you're good enough, mum. I mean, I think that's probably what they'd say. But I certainly feel like I fail my children quite regularly. And that is based on no evidence other than what is in my own head. And being a member of parliament, yeah, failure, it's like a platitude that you automatically say it's not forever. You know that it's not forever. You know that this is a risky job, a risky take, and that failure for you will be very public and will be fairly painful. But you go into it expecting one day to fail. So you are sort of prepared all the time for that. I think people pretend that they're more okay with it than they actually are Mm. because I think it's pretty public and brutal to have to stand on a stage with the country watching while you fail your job interview. I mean, imagine being in a job interview and it being broadcast on Sky. It would be painful, that would, wouldn't it? Yeah. (laughs) I like the way that podcast has happened because... 
by talking about failure, start to provoke conversation. Because I think every, all of us have is. failed at something in life. Of course we have. Numerous times. We might not want to admit it. But we've all failed. Like, the one thing we connect on is we've all been a failure to some degree. <laughs> I think sharing those experiences means it's okay if things don't go the way you plan. Yeah, you know, in back in the sporting world, you know, any young people that listen or parents that have got young people and, you know, because they don't win or don't get where they want, they give up. It's like, no, no, no teach them that by not getting where they thought they were and if they're disappointed about it that means they want more I always think if you're Ah. really disappointed about failing at something if we use that failing or losing yeah you want it even more. You don't want to feel that pit in your stomach. Yeah. That means you're passionate about it. Yeah. You love it. So turn it around. Because if you just fail and thought, oh, I don't care anyway, well, you didn't want it enough in the first place. Yeah, so actually to have that, sometimes that horrible feeling when something doesn't go right. And it is a horrible feeling sometimes in your tummy. But use that because that means you care. Yeah. And it's good to care. Yeah. Yeah. Um, back to your podcast, yes. um, which is out now on Audible. Yes. Uh, do you think you'll do more? I'd love to, yeah. Did, you, did we, you enjoy interviewing people? Because you've been interviewed a lot. And, like, do you, Did you enjoy turning it around the other way and having the control? Oh, totally. Because I get asked about me and I talk about me every single day in my, you know, like I say, yeah. my professional life. It was so nice to go into conversation. And I didn't know a lot about people that I spoke to. Because I, I purposely, I maybe knew quite a few of the names. Some of them I didn't. Yeah. I didn't want to look them up either then. Really? Did yeah. you kind of go in there like fresh? Yeah, because I felt like I knew what the subject was going to be that I was yeah. talking about. But it was more that I could then just get their true passion from them and not lead them into what it was I wanted from them because we're talking very deep, you mm-hmm. know, about their lives and what has happened. I just wanted to be really real. So, for example, going back to Alistair Campbell, that day we did it and... End up talking to him outside of the podcast. We were talking for ages. Then I think England were playing football at the time. So we went down in his lounge and my my car was late. So now I'm sitting in his lounge. And he said, you know what, thank you for coming. He says, because I might not have got out of bed today because he was really struggling that day because he struggles with his mental health, very open about it. And I just felt so like... Wow, do you know? And he says, "I, you know, I feel so much better chatting to you about it." Now he might have stayed in bed and been on that spiral that he gets into, and that's not great. Mm-hmm. But yet he came out and he, we had a laugh, and we, and I felt really sort of, wow, I'm just so, you know. So I felt quite empowered by you did that, you yeah, that. for that, and just also getting into things like um, Rory Bremner. You know, mm-hmm. uh, he was diagnosed with ADHD at age fifty. Now, ADHD is something we always associate with kids and yeah. young people. Well, I always yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I was kind of sitting to him. He was getting ready for the Fringe Festival. And he was sort of saying, I said to him, so what does this mean to you, you know, about getting the diagnosis? And he was saying, well, I now worry about my confidence on stage. So he's an impersonator, yeah, basically, yeah, and a comedian yeah, and an impersonator. Very good. And he was saying, oh, now worry about my confidence. Am I as good as I thought I was? Or does ADHD mean that I'm good? And he was like questioning his ability. I said, yeah, but you've got sellout crowds. And no one knew this before. You had sellout crowds. He said, yeah, but I wonder. So it was nice to speak to people who have been so successful for long term in their career that also have vulnerability mm. because for me my podcast was about proving to anybody doesn't matter what industry and these are people in the public eye just because it allows other people to have that recognition of someone to go wow that hasn't stopped them being good mm-hmm. and this is what I really wanted it to be that you've got all these things but look where you are because yeah. somebody in that listening to that can go 
wow, that was me. But look, it shouldn't stop me still achieving in my life because I think we have this impression that having a mental health problem, and I'm not talking the really hard uh, medical diagnosed problem where, you know, you really need mm-hmm. help. I'm talking anything from anxiety, stress, mm-hmm. depression. Um, I mean, Alistair Campbell had a psychotic episode and his brother's died and his brother had uh, schizophrenia. You know, that's a mm-hmm. hard thing to come to terms with. Yeah. So I just love that way of talking to people yeah and just and just being open I and even from like everyone who is on your podcast they're hugely successful like top of their game and, and the same with you like you, you're at the top of your game you almost reach that success where it's probably difficult to, where do I go from here and then living up to your own expectation because probably <laughs> it's probably easier when you haven't reached it yet because no <laughs> one's expecting that but when you reach a certain level where you're almost not competing with yourself but you're trying to live up to what people expect you to be. Yeah. And that comes with its own difficulties. Yeah, it does. I mean, because I won my two goals at the end of my athletics career. So when I was 34, as we said, <laughs> um, and everyone used to say to me, what are you going to do next? You retire. You're like, I've just done this. I know. Give me a break. You retiring or whatever. I was yeah. like, oh, I don't know. I didn't think one second past it. And it kind of reminded me of the same of military people when they leave a job that's had security, expectations, know what you're doing, you know who's with you, mm-hmm. your team. Same as somebody being in a job for, you know, 20 odd years. When it comes to that end, that's another identity thing where you lose your identity because mm-hmm. you end up thinking, I have no idea who I am because mm-hmm. what I've gone for, what I've focused on, what I've lived, eaten, breathed, like all my life has been the same constant. It might have different impacts and things happen, highs and lows, but it's been a purpose. You lose that. And then you start to question yourself. Are you ever going to be good at something again? Mm -hmm. Are anyone actually ever going to see you in the same light as what they did? You know, and especially someone like myself who, when I won my two golds, um, Facebook only came out in April that year. So we didn't have social media. So your media was newspapers, radios, and a very few channels. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Probably a better way to be honest. (laughs) Yeah. But you find yourself then going, well where do I sit in, even though I'm successful, where do you sit in society when everyone is so out there on television and radio and whatever? How do people still get to know who you are and to see you respectful when you're fighting against the same same position everyone else what TV show you go on what radio you you know and I think these have a way of connecting people the podcasts give the sense of people listening to go oh actually I've I've gone through that as well and I I feel I'm saying saying what other people did you you find when you were listening to uh, people on your podcast that you even someone like Davina McCall and Mm. you know she kind of came through her own struggles through through drug abuse and Mm. but you it doesn't matter what your what your voice is, mm. and the same Alistair Campbell, and the same what you to deal with. It, it, you're still kind of experiencing the same emotions, the yeah. same the identity loss, which mm. I think everyone does when you move careers. And I've kind of, I, I do like I do a podcast, I do radio, I do TV, I do acting. And I remember once some, someone made a comment, complete throwaway comment of like, "So what is it exactly that you do?" Right, and I was like, "I, I don't, I don't know." Slash, I'm like, person is I slash this, slash this, slash this, and it's. <laughs> It's really hard to, you know, for someone who, when you, when you retire at such a young age from sports, it's like, so what do you do now? I Which know. is actually the worst question that someone can it ask really you is, sometimes. Like, you uh, yourself, here's a CV, I don't know. I know, you think to yourself, okay, no one knows me anymore at all. No, yeah. it hasn't given, like, it's exactly the same as you described. I yeah. used to say, well, I open shops, I do brands, <laughs> I go and speak at schools. I mean, you know. feel like you have to prove yourself and you're like, hold on, I got two gold medals. I don't have to do anything. <laughs> I know, but yeah, I'm just Kelly, really. That's the thing. <laughs> well, Kelly, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And that's it. 
another episode down as we delve deep into my guest's audio world. I hope you get cast away by today's top podcast picks. Yeah, I just said that, sorry. All of the podcasts we've mentioned today are included in the episode show notes. Now, if you love this conversation as much as I did, please share your thoughts by leaving a review. And if you'd like to receive weekly installments of Cast Away delivered straight to your phone, hit the subscribe button. Until next time, that's it from me. Take care. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.